0: This morning we're going to uh, close out our series that we've been in and, and called Pounds, LBS, Pounds. And um, essentially what we were talking about through this whole series was what is the, what are those things, the weight, the burdens, the things in our lives that keep us uh, at times from truly wor- worshiping Jesus in the way that um, that he so desires? You know, like really just coming in and exalting him, coming in and, and worshiping him with everything we got. What are those things from time to time that cling to us that, you know, if we would identify him, uh, we could, they, they do, they, they, they encumber us. They, they really kind of prevent us from giving him our, the worship that, that, so much more worship than we could that we could possibly be doing, and so I wanted to I wanted us to kind of take a look at that and how you know how Christ. Um Uh, addresses each of those things and as we live our lives in harmony with him he enables us to to uh, let go of those things or to uh, receive healing through those things that we may be experiencing so this morning we're going to close out uh, with this series uh, and we're going to we're going to worship him truly worship him uh, through communion on the back side of of the message and so I just pray that you would lean into this powerful uh, powerful Uh, message that we're going to focus on this morning and we're going to look at we're going to look at a couple people that a couple different situations where people were truly could truly worship him and some that 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 did not worship him and so uh we're going to look at Matthew if you want to take a by take your bibles or if you didn't bring one please grab one out of the back of the pew uh walk through me with this passage of scripture that we're going to look at uh because it's kind of lengthy and we're going to kind of touch points on it because it's a It's kind of a progression, it's kind of a, it's a timeline that I want to take us through. So it'll start with Matthew, the last part of Matthew chapter 13, and then we'll look at, uh, we're going to go into the 14th chapter of Matthew and look at the words of Matthew's gospel. So essentially today we're going to be talking about how um, our belief in Jesus reflects in our worship of him, Okay. So that's what I want us to take a look at as we close out, is the, 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 our actual belief in Jesus, the way you believe in him, your actual belief in Jesus reflects in the way that you worship him. For instance, it's, uh, you know, if we think Jesus is like some other uh, good person or good people within our lives, we're going to kind of worship him that same way. There's people in our lives where you know, we look at them and we're like, man, those are really good people. They're very thoughtful to me. These people are they're very close friends of mine they 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 kind of see things within my life and they're they're just really good people and and sometimes um that's how we can you know treat Jesus in a sense, or view Jesus, or our belief in Jesus, is He's a really good person. You know, meaning that when other people do things for us, you know, we, again, consider them good and thoughtful, and that's how we consider Jesus. He's very good and thoughtful. We'll give these people accolades. We'll send them a note. We'll say to them, man, you got, you, you're really thoughtful. You're very, very dear to me. You're very special. Um, but when they stop doing things, we kind of, we don't dismiss them, but we kind of forget right i mean you know uh we kind of we kind of lose sight of them a little bit our relationship it doesn't it doesn't like we it's not like we fall out of relationship with them but we kind of we're not as maybe as close as we once were you know and it's kind of like we can we can do this with jesus at times but it's much different it's a, there's a much different way of viewing jesus right if we believe that jesus is the son of god If you believe that Jesus is God, if you believe that Jesus, as the Bible teaches, existed before all time, in fact, if you believe that Jesus was the one who spoke things into existence, as the Word teaches us, and you believe that he's in control, regardless of what's taking place in our world around us right now, regardless of what may be taking place within our lives that is very off the rails, things that really are are overwhelming us or whatever, but if you truly believe that he's in control, if you truly believe that he knows all things, that he's sovereign, that, he, that he's, uh, you know, i in all the attributes, if he, if he knows all things, if he intercedes for you, he provides for you, if you believe that he knows much, much, much more than you know, that he's much, much wiser than you know, wouldn't, doesn't that affect the way you worship him? Doesn't things look a little bit different then than him being just a good person? Isn't it a little, doesn't that take on a completely different perspective of your view of Jesus that, you know, if you truly believe in those things and they move you because you truly believe Jesus is who he says he is, that's a different way of viewing Jesus. It goes beyond Kind of just him providing, you know, him kind of giving you things that you need at different times. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to see a couple different viewpoints of Jesus. We're going to see a couple different viewpoints. We're going to look at two viewpoints on, on each side of, of, of what we're going to look at. So we're going to see an example uh, we see an example of this in the previous chapter, in chapter 13, we're, or, or I should say in the, in the, in the former part of 13, the, the front end of 13, we're going to be looking at the tail end. But in the first part of 13 in here, we read Jesus teaches about four different types of soil, right? And, he, and, and it kind of goes with what we're talking about. And the soil, as he, as he starts to unpack, he says, the soil really represents people's hearts. And as we look at this, we, we see how hearts or these soils respond to Jesus' teaching, the gospel of salvation. He would talk about the hard heart, which literally rejects the gospel. There's a hard heart that sees what Jesus is doing. He, they hear the gospel, or the soil you know, has the gospel. Uh, it, 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 it receives the seed, but nothing happens. It, it's hard. It rejects the gospel. We, he teaches us that there's a superficial heart here that believes as long as jesus is producing you got me you know i'm on the hook as long as you produce i'm on the hook but as soon as that stops or something happens in my peripheral i get distracted and i kind of spin over here we read about then a divided heart that straddles the fence that says i can have both and I don't have to commit to one side or the other. I can have both and I can have my cake and I can eat it too. And then last, he teaches about the soft heart, which accepts the gospel. It receives the gospel of salvation and it produces much fruit uh, within the person's life. And so that's what he teaches in the first part of chapter 13. And so now as we get into chapter 13, we actually see this kind of being demonstrated out as he walks, uh, as he walks and he teaches. By the way, if you've been to Israel or if you're considering going, it is very, I think it's just very powerful uh, as you read about these passages of scripture, as you read about him going back to Nazareth, as you read about him teaching Capernaum and all these different places, the Sea of Galilee and all this, and you're literally standing there, all these stories begin to flood your mind. You know, where you stand at the Sea of Galilee, you stand at the place where where Jesus, after the crucifixion, he appears to the disciples, they see him on the bank, they come in, and he reinstates Peter. What a powerful place to stand and to be reminded this is where somebody rejected, one of Jesus' most closest friends, disciples, rejects him at the most, most horrendous time within his life, but Jesus reinstates him. And forgives him. What a powerful, powerful uh, way to just kind of you know if you go there and decide to go and just kind of see what take you know where these places or where these things took place. It just really puts things in the context. So as we look at this, we're going to look at two different types of, of, of of people here. We're gonna we're gonna look at two that did not believe, and we're gonna look at two that did believe. Two that had a, that that, that, that had, their view of Jesus looked much different than the other two uh, situations, and based upon their unbelief, it literally their belief or unbelief it impacted how they worshipped Him. So let's take a look at the two pictures of unbelief first, and we pick up on this after he kind of does this teaching in the bottom part of chapter uh, thirteen. Here um, he talks about he, he he goes back to his hometown. And as he goes to his hometown in chapter 13, verses 53 through 58, uh, real quick, let's just take a look at that. It says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. He came to his hometown and he began teaching them in their synagogue. So they were astonished. And they said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miracle- miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called is is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters are they not all with us Where then did this man get all these things verse 57 and they took offense at him but Jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So, in this first, pass, this first example, we're, again, we're going to look at two uh, situations where they didn't believe. In this first one, we, he literally goes back to his hometown, to Nazareth. Then, as to go back to his hometown, he begins to teach. He begins to stand up. He begins to, to teach the people. And these people are absolutely astonished, they're amazed. I mean, they're like, wow, where did this guy get the power? You know, and time and time again, we read about uh, people hearing Jesus' teaching. They were really taken aback because they weren't used to that type of teaching, a teaching that had power and passion behind it. And, and, and it grabbed them to the point where they were just absolutely amazed. They couldn't believe the wisdom that he possessed, that he had. And they were blown away by his miracles. Isn't this, isn't this the kid that was Mary's son? Isn't this the kid that used to walk around? Isn't his dad Joseph? Isn't this the one that you know there were carpenters, they worked with stone and things like that. Isn't isn't that isn't that this kid right here? Isn't that isn't that his name? Wasn't his name Jesus? And they were amazed. It's very, they were amazed at his teaching and the miracles that he did, but and here we come with the big butts, right? They refused to believe. They refused to believe. In fact, it says they begin to question and they begin to doubt his authority and they became offended. Now that's something I think you and I can relate to, right? We live in a society and a culture where it seems like anytime you say anything, someone's offended. Well, I'm offended. Jesus... Uh, was uh, definitely kind of upset the apple cart in his own hometown. And they became offended. Offended. They're offended over his teaching. Your teaching has authority. It amazes us. It astonishes us. And the miracles that you're doing are absolutely off the charts. It just is blowing me away. But you know what? I'm offended. That offends me. Verse 57. They took offense to him. They took offense to him. To him. They heard him, they saw his works, they saw the evidence through him, yet they don't believe, and they even begin to question and they ultimately deny him of the worship and the glory and the exaltation that he is so due. Another, as we continue on in this particular timeline, as we continue to read here, uh, first part of chapter 14, we read about another guy that rejected him, and he wasn't really a Jew. But he was more of a Roman, but he lived in the Jewish, he oversaw the Jewish area there where all the Jews were at uh, in Antipas, and his name was Herod, Herod of Antipas or Herod Antipas or whatever, and there was many Herods in that time. Uh, his name would have been uh, easier to call him Herod Antipas because that's where he governed over. So he was very familiar with Jesus. He was very, very familiar with Jesus. He was very familiar with the Jews. He governed over them. Uh, and at times, they kind of freaked him out because it scared, they, they scared him many times because, you know, they would, they would rise up and they would do things, right? They were very passionate people. They're still passionate, right? And he governed over them. This was his area that he governed over. And, and uh, the, the Scripture says that he takes upon the name Herod the Tetrarch. And Herod, again, oversees this, and he's very aware of Jesus And that is the area in which Jesus would have performed many of his miracles. Many of his teachings would have taken place there. Herod would have seen this. Herod would have heard about him. Herod was very familiar who Jesus was, but Herod was a very, very loose, a hedonistic person, okay? Okay? If you remember back, John the in this particular uh, passage, Matthew takes us to an event which is really kind of strange. But as we're reading about this, Matthew takes us to an event. It's kind of like a break in the in, in the the flow of things, and Matthew takes us to this break where Herod beheads John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, the cousin of Jesus, right? He was speaking about, hey, there's coming a time where, you know, uh, heaven's coming down, man. Heaven is coming down. And he talked, you know, it was all about ba- being baptized. And he spoke very, very, very candid. Uh, John the Baptist was very upfront. John the Baptist, talk about offending someone. John the Baptist absolutely offended Herod because he called Herod out. Herod, again, was very uh, hedonistic, hedonistic. And there was a story, there was a situation that took place where Herod was with his friends. They were having this party or whatever. And his daughter, just to kind of show you how kind of wicked or how deranged Herod was. Herod had his daughter, uh, Salome, I think was her name, or how you pronounce it. Herod's daughter once danced very, sed- this is his daughter, okay? Herod's daughter danced very seductively in front of Herod and the, the guys that he had with him, you know? Show- he was kind of showcasing things. But she danced so seductively that it really got Herod's attention, okay? So much that he told her after he- she danced. He said to her, he said, hey, I'll give you, just ask for anything. I'll give you whatever it is that you want. Well, Herod's wife uh, leans over or uh, connects with uh, Salome, and she plants a little seed in, her, in Salome, her daughter's mind. And so what happened was, a while back, John w- picked up on this story, uh, picked up on how wicked Herod was, and John the Baptist really exposed him, and Herod's wife did not like it whatsoever. And she leans over to Salome. She, she leans over to Salome, and she's prompted by her mother, and tells Salome to ask for the head of John the Baptist. Herod had imprisoned John the Baptist because I think deep down he knew that John was a pretty righteous person. I think Herod knew what was kind of going, what was taking place, and I don't think he really wanted to kill John the Baptist, but he had him in prison. So he's kind of, you know, he took care of him. He said, "I'll just put him in prison. That way, I don't really have to deal with him." But Herod's mother, or uh, Herod's wife, Salome's mother, requested the head of John the Baptist on a platter, and John the Baptist got beheaded for his offending of, of Herod and his family. So here you have a couple of people that believe that saw Jesus. They, you know, with Herod and some of the others here. Even again, Herod, not even being a Jew, but yet was exposed to the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, in a sense. Uh, who didn't, uh, it, you know, his belief in Jesus wasn't uh, by any means uh, what uh, someone, you know, like a, a Jewish person would have been. But then even you had Jesus' own people, his own hometown that demonstrated this sense of unbelief. Now, let's take, two, let's take as we follow this timeline, let's, let's look at two more pictures. And in these pictures, we see individuals that respond to Jesus with belief. And the first one is found uh, in verses 13 through 21. And in verses 13 through 21, we read about this miracle that happened a couple different times in different ways where Jesus actually fed multitudes of, of individuals. And it says in 13, now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew. He withdrew in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, and he began to heal their sick. And so the story goes that, you know, when Jesus hears about John the Baptist, his cousin, I bet he was moved. I'm sure he was moved. So he pulls back. He secludes himself. At this point, people had kind of picked up on Jesus, picked up on his teachings, picked up on his miraculous signs. And they were bringing people to him, and he was curing them. And so he secludes himself, but when the people find out, they rush to him, and so Jesus doesn't even really have time to kind of to get his bearings and kind of rest and things like that. But when Jesus sees the people, even though he's tired, even though he's exhausted, he makes, even though he makes this attempt uh, to, to seclude Uh, himself and even his disciples take on this characteristic of jesus even the disciples begin uh, to really get it and understand it they begin to reflect some of his attributes and especially in this situation compassion where they see you know their master he's tired and so they they help him they try to seclude him they try to pull him and tuck him away but the people come and jesus doesn't uh he's he, he ministers that's all he's filled with compassion he's moved and the, but the disciples, you know, they, you got individuals here, they, they believe in Jesus. Their viewpoint's being changed. First, again, they, they, they take on some of his ca- characteristics of, of compassion. And then secondly, they begin to rely upon his resources. They engage in this huge object lesson, right? So Jesus begins to teach them. And it comes time to feed them, and they're hungry. And it says there were 5,000, if you, uh, I believe, jump down to verse 21. It says there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Often they would count just the men, and so here, uh, if you had 5,000 men, you've got way more than that, that Jesus is doing this this miracle, because that's just the men. And if, if they're married, that just adds on, so you could tack on, uh, you know, I don't know if all of them were married, but you know, you could, now you're getting close up to, you know, 8,000, 9,000 individuals, if they had children. I mean, you're talking, now we're getting up to around what, 12, 13, 15,000 people and they're there, and they want to hear Jesus, and they're not leaving. It comes dinner time, and, and the disciples are like, hey, man, we need to get these people moving because it's time for people to eat, and we, don't have, we can't feed them. We don't have the resources. We don't have any of this stuff. But yet Jesus says, well, hang on a second here. Hang on a second. And so Jesus consequently begins to teach them the, the concept that he always meets their needs in them and through them, Okay? Jesus is going to teach them that he's always going to meet their needs that's in them, and he's going to meet others and their needs through them. And he demonstrates, now listen, he demonstrates that he doesn't give what satisfies, but what he demonstrates is the one who does satisfy, which is him. He, was, he uses this miracle, and he allows them to participate so that they can see these wonderful truths. So he says, you know, get some food together. And all they had was just some, some, some you know, a few, loaves of fi- a, a few loaves of bread and some fish. I'm sure you've heard this story. And Jesus blesses it, and he asks the disciples to pass it out, and everybody eats, and they're full. And then they go, and they collect what's left over, and there were 12 baskets, which is very significant, the number 12. But Jesus uh, allows them to participate in this object lesson to what? To teach them that he's always going to meet their needs. And he's not only going to meet the needs again within them, but he's going to meet the needs of others through them. The question then would become, who's this miracle for? Who was this miracle for? Was it for the people? Was it to feed the people? Or was it, you know, yes, probably so. Or was it for the disciples? Yes, probably so. The disciples of the people being fed, right? The other question would be this. As we read about that, how are you impacted? As we read about this story, is this something that just happened, you know, thousands of years ago? Or is this something that is still, re- that's still real to you today? When you read this, you're reminded again that Jesus is supreme above all things. That Jesus isn't just about, you know, G- the, the, just about someone who's good within your life, but someone that's going to meet your needs in you and through you. He's the one that satisfies so the bigger question I think here is this, you know, who is this, who is this miracle for? Was it for them? Was it for the people? Was it for the disciples? Or was it for you? Sitting here this morning to realize that Jesus is in control, that Jesus will meet your needs, that Jesus will meet the needs of others, possibly through you, enabling you to be a part of something that's so much bigger than who you are. What is it so, what's so big in your life where you need to send that away because you don't have the means. Just like the disciples, we need to send them away. We don't have the means, we don't have the food. What is it in our lives, your life, that's so big that you're like, you gotta get rid of this? Where Jesus is saying, no, let's go through this. Let's walk through this. It's an awesome story of what happens across the board of individuals who truly believe in Jesus. The second group of people I want to share with you very quickly here, or the second story of belief, is found in the same, again, we're just walking through this, found in uh, verse 22 through t- through 32, and we read about a sinking boat, okay? We read about a sinking boat, and this, this event took place, Again, right after the, on the heels of the 5,000, feeding the 5,000, Jesus was tired. Jesus was, he was ready to move on. And so he kind of leaves and he moves off. But in this story, it taught the disciples that Jesus is sovereign over them. It taught the, 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 the disciples that he intercedes for them and he's present at all times and that he is their strength. And so Jesus moves on. He goes to the other side of this, of this body of water and the disciples get in their boat and they start heading out. And it says that this storm conjured up. The winds started conjuring up to the point where these guys really started to fear their lives. And again, we're talking fishermen here too, so it's not like this is their first rodeo of being on water or being in storms. And they start, they start kind of freaking out a little bit, and they're getting scared. And, they, and the Bible teaches us they were out probably for like six hours or so, and it, it would have probably made it between maybe three or four, two or three or four in the morning. So these guys have been out on this water And they're kind of, they're hanging out there and they're, they're getting, they're getting tired. They're, they're getting, they're, they're getting scared. They're getting full of fear and they cry out to him. Even though he's not there, they cry out to him. So, so they're demonstrating this sense of faith and he appears, he appears, but he's walking on water, which freaks them out as it would us, right? As it would you and I, he is walking on water, but nevertheless, he's there. And he's present with and for them. And he takes control over them and over nature. And Peter, of all, and you've probably read the story, Peter gets this bright idea. And he calls out to Jesus and he says, Hey, if you want me to, I could come to you. Why don't you call me to you? And so Jesus says, Come on out, Peter. Come on out. And he reaches out to him. And Peter starts throwing a leg over the boat, and he starts walking on water, as the story tells us. He starts walking on water, but then something happens. As he's he's looking at Jesus, everything's going okay. But as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus and realizes what's taking place around him, that he's actually walking on water, and he sees the waves, and he sees the storm around him, he gets full of fear, and he starts to go under. And he cries out to Jesus, Save me, save me. And Jesus reaches out his hand and one of the, I think one of the most um, personal, intimate kind of verses, at least it starts off that way. In verse 31 it says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he took hold of him. And then the story gets a little less personal or intimate. And Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I don't know about you, but many times when I've read that story, I'm thinking, yeah, man, Peter, why'd you doubt, right? And we look at it as a slap of faith. But when you really think about it, probably, and, and probably another way of looking at this, maybe a more accurate way of looking at this, is when you study this passage of Scripture, that in reality, Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying to him, Peter, I am your object of faith. I am your object of faith. I am the object of the one. I'm the one that you need to put your faith into. It's me. I'm the one. Your faith. You're putting it in something else. You have little faith. Because you're putting your faith in something other than, than me. I'm the one that's sovereign. I'm the one that intercedes for you. I'm the one that can be, that's present with you at all times. I'm the one that provides your strength. Don't put your faith in anything else. Put your faith in me. Keep your faith on me. You know, when we put our faith in circumstances, we're going down. When we put our faith in our own strengths, we're going to go down. When we put it in, our, in problems, in solutions, in capabilities, in our intellect, whatever it is, if we put our faith in anything else besides Jesus, we are going down. Jesus is saying, I am your object of faith. There's nothing that, 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 that's over me. There's nothing that supersedes me. And Peter's taught a lesson as well as the other disciples that Jesus is in control, that he is worthy of our faith. Do you see how you have two groups of people that the way they viewed Jesus significantly impacted the way they worshiped him? You have two, you have this group over here, his hometown, that they saw Jesus, they saw all of his miracles, they heard his teaching, they felt his teaching. They knew his teaching was miraculous or, or, or um, that, that it was just astonishing, it had awesome power to it, but, but it offended them. And so they couldn't really worship him. Herod, I can't worship you, I've got to worship myself. It's about me. It's about, he, you know, it's about me. What makes me happy? Even though he saw all these things too, it's about me. And then you have these other two groups that placed their faith in Jesus that saw incredible things, knowing that Jesus could meet all needs, not only in us, but through us, and that also he is the object of our faith, which absolutely impacts their worship. In fact, if we would go to the last part of chapter 14, verse 33, we read that true worship takes place. It says in verse uh, verse thirty three it said, And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, 'You are certainly god 's son. they got it. <laughs> I mean they saw it they got they began to get it, their eyes begin to open. You are certainly god 's son, you have power over nature, you have power over These miracles that you're doing, all these things. Now, again, they're human. We're going to read on, uh, you know. From we're going to read on, where we're going to see them doubting from time to time. But at the end of the day, their eyes begin to open. They begin to see. And I find it very interesting when you continue to read that passage. Uh, uh, in verse 33, it says, in and and 14, it says, And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. And listen to what it says in 34. Let's not stop there, but listen to 34. It said, When they had crossed over, they came to a land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. They believed. They believed. And because they believed, it absolutely impacted the way they worshipped Jesus. This morning, as the worship team comes, they're going to lead us into a song and we're going to close again this message out with communion. And I think it begs to be asked when we when we celebrate communion or when we observe communion it would be a better way of stating it. I think it begs to be, you know, to ask you know, the, the, that we are we stand face to face with that question that says, do we truly believe? It's not just some casual sense of acknowledgement, like Jesus' hometown that saw the things. Yeah, they saw it. They saw people being cured. They saw the miraculous signs, but they didn't, they didn't believe. They were offended. They truly didn't believe. And then there are those that were around Jesus where they saw the same things. They heard the same messages. They, saw, they heard the same power that was in his, that was, that, that was in his messages, that, and they were moved to the point to where they believed and it changed their lives we read about the disciples who and, and as i shared with you you know you see different snapshots of the disciples where they were just they were like okay they're getting it man you know they're getting it these these guys are getting it they're walking with jesus and they're getting it and then a little bit later on you read about stories where yeah they didn't get it or they got it but they didn't get you know and, and again we're talking about humans we're talking about individuals that you know the the they, they were they were getting it, but they were that's just the way it was. But then something happened, and, and I've talked about this before. After Jesus was crucified, and even that during that whole time, they were scared. They abandoned him. I mean, Peter was the only one, and I believe John. There was another one that I think it was John that was kind of in close proximity. But Peter was very close to Jesus in the sense, not just uh, relationship, but even just the physical the physical space of him going through the crucifixion. Peter saw things, and he, got, he was scared. He was, got full of fear, and he denied who Jesus was. And we read about that. We see that with these individuals, but they never, they never gave up. But then something happened after Jesus' death and resurrection when the Holy Spirit descended upon them, these men, and eventually, all the women and everything. When, when, when the Holy Spirit descended upon that place, there was no more doubting. Absolutely no more doubting. Their belief in Jesus was absolutely solidified and their worship skyrocketed to the point that every single disciple, except for Judas, who, uh, who we know what happened to him after he betrayed Jesus, and we know what happened to John, He was uh, sent to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote Revelation and some other things. And then he actually came back and even ministered in the church in Ephesus. But outside of Judas and what happened to him and John, the rest of these disciples, who at times were full of fear, who at times were full of doubt, who at times really struggled, every single one of them was filled full of passion and zeal to the point that they proclaimed Jesus so much that it cost them their lives their belief in Jesus affected their worship. Casual belief in Jesus doesn't cut what the worship Jesus deserves. I don't know where you may be this morning in your walk with Jesus, but maybe you're one that has placed your faith in Jesus and your belief is so deep in him that your worship is absolutely there. Maybe some of you are sitting in here this morning and and you, you, you believe in Jesus and, and you worship him, but man, there's a lot of times you kind of get beat around and, you know, maybe today you're sitting in here and you've been beat around a little bit and your worship isn't really where it should be because you're kind of got distracted. You're kind of looking at the waves. You're kind of looking at the water around you. You're kind of, you know, you're, 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 you see Jesus, but you're losing, you're losing kind of some sight here, okay? Maybe today's the day where it's like, Jesus, man, you know, we got to get this straightened back out. And Jesus is stretching His arm out to every single one of us sitting there this morning saying, I'm right here. Place your faith in me. There's no other thing you should be placing your faith into. I'm the one that will deliver. I'm the one where you're going to find life. I'm the one that's going to give you what you are searching for. And it's going to affect every single one of our, our worship with him, where we can truly worship him. So the question becomes, how do, do we truly, do you truly believe in who Jesus is? Communion is open for anybody. That you don't have to be a part of Element, you don't have to be a member of Element, you don't have to. The only thing you have to be a member of is God's family, because you're taking you're taking something that is symbolizing the work that Jesus did on the cross. You're taking something where you're saying, "I believe, I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I believe that my faith has to that He is the object of my faith, the person of Jesus. I believe in Him." I have a relationship with him. My life is in his hands. And I'm trying to live my life. And it's really not based upon what you're doing. It's based upon what God has done for you. But communion is about truly worshiping who Jesus is. So this morning as we, as the the, uh, worship team uh, leads us into a song, why don't you take a few minutes and just bow your heads and your hearts and just Uh, Right now, just bow your heads and your hearts. Let me lead us into a word of prayer. And I would ask that you would just take this time to to reflect, to do some personal reflection. Maybe the Holy Spirit is leaning hard on you right now, and you've got some things that you need to, to, to really talk about with Jesus because it's impacting your worship with him. It's impacting your worship. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never... You're not part of God's family, but yet you sense that God is is reaching to you and you sense the hand of Jesus saying, take a hold of my hand. Take a hold of my hand and be part of my family. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you truly worship Jesus and this is truly a celebratory time for you. You celebrate and, you know, pray for those around you. We're all on different points on this journey. But I would ask that you would uh, just take this moment to self-reflect that this is between you and God and that your heart might be in the right position to come and to to receive communion. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you're sinless. That doesn't mean that your life is is, uh, spot-free. It means that you're living and you've placed your faith and trust in the hands of Jesus. Jesus, I give you praise here this morning that we don't have to be perfect to come in your presence, but it's you that makes us perfect. It's your blood. It's, your sacrifice, it's the sac- your sacrifice that the Father looks at and sees and says, yes, they are my son. They are my daughter. They are my children. I pray, Father, that if there are those in here that have not become part of your family yet and you're calling them to you that today might be the day they reach out and they grab your hand that you're extended to them and that you would pull them up out of the water and they would trust you and this might be the day they truly believe and truly begin to worship you for who you are i pray for others that that um we have a relationship with you but at times it gets rough. Maybe we're sitting here this morning, and we've kind of we've been doing things uh, our own way. I pray today might be the day that we let that go, and we turn back to you and fall back into your arms and surrender ourselves, our will, back to you once again. So, Father, I pray that you would just find freedom in here this morning. That your spirit would just be able to move in and about our hearts And Father you would give us the courage to respond the way to you the way that you would the way that you would want us to and the way that's going to bring life we give you thanks for the opportunity to be able to just come together and lift you up and bring you glory and I pray that as we take communion here in a few moments that we would just unite our hearts around that and, and we would just truly come together uh, as one, exalting you, lifting you up, bringing you glory. Thank you for this moment. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.